Hey, welcome back. It's another episode of Business of Film, episode number 57. My name is Jesse Eichmann, and you're listening to a crafttruck.com podcast. All right, so this episode, it's a special one for me just because I've got somebody on the show that I really respect, uh, have had the opportunity to work with before, and he's just an awesome guy. Uh, Bob Monroe, he's a visual effects supervisor. He's been in the business before visual effects supervision existed. Uh, He started uh, before 1984 in the business and was at the very beginning of what became uh, the VFX, I guess you could say, movement. And we we get into that. Uh, And that was really kind of interesting to talk about and and what that meant and what the position of visual effects supervision uh, is all about. And uh, what it means for for you and for your films and and how to work and where to work and how to start thinking about VFX. Just lots of really, really interesting stuff that we dive into uh, in this episode. And I want to thank Bob for taking time away from the show that he's currently working on, which is The Expanse. Uh, it's an epic sci-fi um, project for the Sci-Fi Channel. And uh, it's uh, filming right around the corner from us at Pinewood. So we, we were able to steal him away from set uh, for an hour just to, to come by. And uh, as such, he was here in studio with us. And we were, and just kind of a small disclaimer on this episode, I was testing a new audio, um, I guess, recording uh, format for the show. We were, we, we were recording live onto an H4N, uh, and the microphone picks up a lot, a lot more than we actually thought it would. We actually we had to put up some sound blankets in the room and really try and uh, dampen out some of the sound because uh, it just is a pretty kick-ass microphone. Uh, so, But in the first 10 minutes, you, you're going to hear a little bit of background noise. Um, that's uh, Jeff uh, downstairs uh, talking with some of the folks in our office. and uh, But it's, it's not disturbing. Otherwise, uh, I would have done something with it but uh nonetheless just just so you know we're aware it's there but uh it's only there for like literally the first five minutes um okay on to this episode itself and just a quick history on bob just so you get an idea of of some of the stuff that he's worked on because we don't actually talk specifically except for one or two of the shows that he's worked on about all the shows that he's had the opportunity uh to be a vex supervisor on but um i mean i can go all the way back to uh, Johnny Mnemonic, Cube, uh, X-Men, where he was, where he was the, the on-set supervisor uh, for VFX, uh, Blade 2, uh, Splice, a really, really cool project from a visual effects uh, perspective, and we get into that in detail in the show. Uh, Dolphin Tale, um, All is Lost, uh, which uh, was where I actually had the opportunity to meet and work with Bob. Uh, and All is Lost is an interesting project just because it's water-based, and water has uh, its own challenges. And so we get into that a bit. And, uh, and of course, uh, The Expanse, which he's working on now, and he will be the VFX supervisor on Neuromancer, which uh, personally I'm very excited about. And here we go. So uh, longish inter- introduction, but I, I think it's worth it for Bob just because uh, he, he's somebody that you know commands a lot of respect, both in the business and his knowledge. So I think you will get a lot out of this episode. And uh, here we go. Episode number 57, Bob Monroe. The time has come, the walrus said, to talk of many things, of shoes and ships and sealing wax, of cabbages and kings, and why the sea is boiling hot, and whether pigs have wings. Where's that from? That's uh, Alice in Wonderland. No kidding. It is. Yes, Wonderful. That's, that's, uh, that is a very well known or very well uh, recited... Uh, um, uh, um, uh, not, not recited. What's the word I'm looking for here? See, I can do things that are pre-scripted, but I can't come up with words myself. Well, um, that's because you're, you know, 
a VFX supervisor, not an actor. Correct. You know, but although I do want to be an actor, you want to be an actor? Sure. <laughs> I want you to put me in one of your movies because I, I, I was actually, I was, I was, I. Oh, here comes. I like this with my latte. Wonderful. Thank you so much. No yeah, we. There's a reason why we're called Craft Truck. Yeah, there you go. And I, got, I got good. This is better than any craft I normally get. Although the show that I'm on right now, The Expanse, the craft people are so fantastic. They've got this thing called the Bob Burrito, and there's three different people in the craft truck, and they're having a contest to see who can make the best Bob Burrito. I like food really, really spicy, so they're cooking all the ingredients in jalapeno juice, and they're doing all these great things to make it spicier. And there's and at, at some point before we wrap, they're going to do all of them are going to make one burrito each, serve them to me, and have me pick. The top one. This should be a show in itself. Uh, it's just like you know. I love. I, I you know. I'm a huge food. I hate well, here, the, try try that. Okay. Try that. Okay. What do you think? Because here on the show, we actually we, we talk about coffee a lot. We're we're, we're big coffee. It tastes here. nothing like a burrito. Nothing like a burrito. But it tastes like great coffee. Yeah, it is. We it's we, we use a uh, Rensilio Silvia. Uh, uh, it's a single boiler machine. Uh, where we also have, you know, we always grind our own beans fresh, so you get fresh ground beans. That's really the key. It is. For anybody who's listening and they want to make good coffee, buy yourself, before you buy yourself a new machine, buy yourself a good grinder. That's right. Because you get exactly. better coffee just you from, absolutely from, from, from the grinder. Okay. So, so just quickly going back to my acting career. Oh, um, yes, of course. A couple of times I have appeared on camera in shows I've worked on, but it was funny. My daughter the other day, we were, a, a good friend of mine is a, um, uh, started off is very well known has won Academy Awards and Emmys for makeup um, his name's Greg Nicotero um, of KNB in Los Angeles he's the N in KNB it's funny because we actually interviewed Greg for uh, we, we have another segment of one of our video series we do called Meet Your Makers so with one of them we actually went down uh, the, our full camera team yeah, Van we, Nuys Van Nuys and we went into KMB right. and we met with Greg and he gave us the tour uh, you know the, the old predators there and you know and just blow, mind blowing right yes sorry exactly. anyway, go ahead no so it's, it's so so yeah Greg's got a fantastic shop and he's he's now become um, very well known as the executive producer one of the executive producers and uh, probably the uh, most successful director on The Walking Dead and uh, I was watching an episode a few weeks ago with my daughter who's mid 20s um and walking dead is a one of her favorite shows um and she uh uh you know kept going on about how great the makeup was and you know one of the reasons why she watched the show and i said i thought the guy i saw a zombie in the back and i thought it was greg like i thought greg made, made himself up and put himself in the show um and uh she goes. She goes. Oh, I, I really don't like that when directors put themselves in their own movies, and you know, they, <laughs> people that work on movies put themselves. And I said, I'm going to show you something out of YouTube. And there's an old, old, hokey, but campy on purpose kind of science uh, uh, science fiction series called uh, Lex: The Dark Zone Stories. Yeah, sure. And I was a visual effects supervisor on the four movies that were made, and I'm in the first movie with Barry Bostwick, and I had to show her my daughter that uh, not only do, do people who are directors of shows put themselves in in the the, the, the the productions that they're working on. So do people who are even more behind the scenes, like a visual effects supervisor. So there I am, immortalized on YouTube in Lex the Dark Zone Stories first uh, first episode. You're gonna have to send me a link so I okay. I, I can share that with Absolutely. everybody. You bet. So okay, just you're gonna have to to because your career is expansive. It, it you know, nicely done. Yeah, you like that, right? <laughs> that was very good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, and. We we do a segment here on the show called uh, the producer's relationship with, and obviously you being a visual effects supervisor, uh, I you know I want to talk to you about the relationship that not only that you have to the craft of what you do, visual effects mm -hmm. you know supervision, but also the kind of the the relationship that that you have 
uh, with the producers that you work with on an ongoing basis. But before we get to any of that, can you give our audience a little bit of a, of a background on sort of how you got into the business, where where you started, and how you kind of moved up through the ranks of becoming, you know, really one of the premier VFX guys, certainly, you know, in in the business. So. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, uh, I did not expect to be in the film business. I did not. I did not go to film school. Um, I was always very interested in films, and, and you know, like like most people, um, you know, going through their late teens, early twenties, film fans um, thought it'd be cool to write a script or or you know, it's, you know, whatever. But I was really, I never really decided to go to film school. What I did go to was fine art <laughs> school. Um, I was always an artist, always very very creative. I grew up in Florida. And, uh, and my heritage is from Canada. My grandparents and aunts and uncles are from Canada. So I decided to, um, after a couple of years of college down in Florida, to apply to a couple of schools in Canada for, for fine art. And I got accepted at Western. Uh, so moved to, uh, to London, Ontario. Um, the whole idea was that I was going to become a artist, you know, capital A, or maybe artiste, I guess, if you want to you know, go a little bit more uh, uh, cliché. Um, and I was going to be a painter and a sculptor and a printmaker and a photographer. And I was going to move back down to Florida and I was going to become a, uh, you know, I was going to be, do, I was going to be another Robert Rauschenberg. I was going to move to, to Captiva Island or Sanibel Island off the coast of Florida and have a studio and, and become a famous artist. Um, I wasn't that good. So, uh, so that wasn't going to happen. Um, about the same time, I had just started dating a uh, young lady in university um, and uh, was kind of sad about the fact that it was going to become a long-term relationship. I was going to move back down to Florida. And out of the blue, one of my classmates in, in, in fourth year at, at Western, he walks in, he says, um, I, just got, I just found out this new program. Um, on, it's, it's computer animation, uh, computer graphics. And I went, what is that? And he had explain, what year is this? That was 84. Okay, I don't, I didn't, I don't mean to date yeah, you. Yeah, but fact- no, you can't date me. I'm married. Okay. But ump um, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know I've tried. Yeah, I know you've tried. And, 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 and he tries like every time I walk in here, he tries to get me into uncompromising situations. And, <laughs> um, so uh, I was graduating from from Western, planning on moving back down to Florida in a fairly new relationship. And this guy comes in and says, "There's this course. It's a it's a postgraduate." Um, uh, uh, course uh, um, in, in computer animation is brand new. Would you be interested? And I go, no, I'm not, I'm a purist. I'm going to do art on computers. Are you kidding? That's like ridiculous. But where where is where is this place? This is Sheridan College. It's in Oakville, Ontario. I said, oh, my girlfriend lives in Oakville. She had just graduated um, and she had moved back to Oakville. So I went, okay, I'll apply just for kicks um, because at least I get to spend another few months with my girlfriend. Um, and uh, I got accepted. And found out probably within about the first 30 minutes that I had an, an incredibly natural, I, I hate to you know blow my own horn here, but I had a natural aptitude for it. It just, I just, like all of a sudden. Were you coding and stuff at the time? Coding, teaching myself. Right. And it just, it just all of a sudden just went, wow. I what had, systems were you using back then? Can you oh, remember? Oh, back then it was like, there was a company called NeoVisuals who I ended up working for. Um, long gone. They got assumed by a big conglomerate called SAS Institute. Um, because I remember right around the same time, uh, for anybody who's read special purpose um, uh, things, um, you know, there were other, other packages that you could buy off the shelf, but they were typically um, uh, I don't know, too general to be able to do anything 
really fantastic in visual effects in the in the in the late eighties, early nineties. Um, but they you know they've stuck around. They're, they're like Alias, for, for example. Um, uh, their 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 program Maya is probably the standard three D package for for most visual effects facilities in the world today. Um, you know that all came out of those early days, those like you know mid nineteen eighties days. Um, but you know how do you get to become a visual effects supervisor? You kind of you know back at that at that time. You had to wait for Hollywood to kind of discover that we what we could do, and that's what happened. Nobody in in who was doing flying logos at the time or, or television commercials at the time back in the mid '80s was saying, "Okay, Hollywood, take a look at what we can do." We had to fight like crazy for them to even pay attention to us and 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 the potential of what this technology could do, what this creativity could do. Nobody was thinking other than maybe outside of Tron um, or or. Uh, uh, you know, even pushing it, I'm going to push it even into the, into the late eighties, early nineties with, 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 um, uh, um, Terminator two and the abyss and things like that. That was all finally Hollywood going, okay, maybe there's something here, but it still took another decade for Hollywood to go, okay, this is a real viable thing. You are really a, a, cre- a key creative team member. This is now something that we're going to be relying on on a daily basis. So, okay, so this, so this is interesting because there there is clearly a period of time when you were not a quote unquote key creative, when you were very much just below the line. I, although VFX, I arguably whether you put it above the line, below the line, but just from the perspective of a key, in the same way a costume designer would be a key or a production designer would be a key, even though they'd be below the line members, they're still your, your key crew. VFX supervisor. That was not a key position at we were, that time. We were not a bona fide crew member back at the time. So what were you doing? I mean, I, and I don't want to spend too much time on this part of it because I kind of want to fast forward into more present day, you know, practical stuff. But for, or, and just, but I am curious, what were you actually doing in those eighties, like late eighties, mid nineties? Well, I, I started off. Um, as I mentioned before this company, Neo Visuals, which developed software, developed three D animation yeah. software, and it was so. Uh, so basic. I mean, we typed commands. Like yeah. we, didn't, we didn't have a mouse. There was no cursor. There was no interface. It was all type type commands. Um, and I was a demo artist for them. After I graduated from Sheridan College, I was hired by them, and I became a demo jockey for a couple of years. Um, then uh, was hired by um, the, the company 3M, like the, the the big Minnesota company 3M, decided that they wanted because they have a whole uh, broadcast group within 3M. They make you know, like videotape, for example, back in the day. Um, they wanted to get into 3D animation, and this guy decided that he wanted to look for a, a, a partner to create the, the, the 3D software that they could sell as a 3M branded product. So I left NeoVisuals and then became a consultant for 3M as they were selling the NeoVisuals product rebranded as one of their own. Um, and then spent you know about a year doing that, and then got into commercials. Uh, a company in Toronto that's still in existence. Uh, I think they've now been in, in business for close to 25 years, called Topics. And we did, uh, uh, it was just all commercials. They still do commercials. That's all they do. Um, and, and it was a pretty great job at the time because we were doing some, some very groundbreaking television commercials, commercials for McDonald's and Coca-Cola and uh, Sears and, uh, you know, you name it, uh, Lifesavers. Um, it was just, it was, it was, a, it was you know, something new that, that advertising picked up way sooner than, than, than Hollywood did. So, uh, what, so when did then your... Transit, like, can, do, you, do you remember the, the point in time when you became a VFX supervisor and where that, that crossed with the industry accepting? Like, what, what was the project where the, the, the two things crossed for you? For me, it was Tech War. Um, that was a TV series that was developed by William Shatner. And uh, uh, this was back in 1993. 
there wasn't a company in Toronto that could do that did long format visual effects. Companies did, as I said before, flying logos or television commercials. Uh, but nobody had a, 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 a business model that did long format television or feature film visual effects. And this was about the same time that, you know, Jurassic Park was coming out and, you know, the abyss had just been done. So this was again, very early, even in the Hollywood scheme of things out in Los Angeles. Um, and you know, we're, you know, 3000 miles away and we're, you know, probably, you know, a year behind and they were just starting to realize what this technology and, and, and again, these types of creative people could do. So very forward-thinking young man who was the production designer on Tech War, Stephen Roloff. He was also one of the uh, one of the producers. Stephen had it in his mind that he didn't want to go to a company in Toronto to do the visual effects. He wanted to pick individuals and create a department. Now he did get probably two or three from a company called Gadecki Visual Effects. John Gadecki was an early, uh, you know, pioneer in visual effects in Toronto. Um, but they had never done anything digitally either. They had just they had just bought a couple of, of compositing systems. Most of their work was practical effects, making models and explosions and what have you. So we had a couple of people come from Gadecki Visual Effects. Stephen Roloff and the other producers handpicked a couple of other people from other companies around Toronto, myself included, and created a department. And at that point, realized this is an onset department. This is an onset department, right? right and the production office. Yep. Um, and we did all the visual effects for Tech War in house. Right then, like right then and there, um, as the, as it was being shot, we were doing VFX. So it became a bit obvious to us that you know maybe there's a there, if, if these guys couldn't find if these producers couldn't find a company to do long format visual effects in Toronto, maybe there's a market for that. So by that point, I become really good friends with Bill Shatner and, and and pitched him on the idea of starting a company. And I think at that point, realized once we did that, and job after job after job after job came rolling through the door. I uh, realized that there was a uh, a real business here that uh, that was viable, um, and there's a real role for me as a guy who would go on set and consult with the director and the cinematographer and the producers. And now you're seeing this on set thing starting to happen, and now you are becoming a bona fide member of the crew. Now you are listed on the call sheets. Now you are part of production meetings, and there's where kind of the visual effects supervisor. Role, I think it, I wouldn't say it was invented, but it was validated. Right, and and so I get. I guess I don't want to get to sort of like the the present state of VFX supervision just yet. Uh, I'm curious about what along that kind of that that journey, or or, or maybe it dovetails for you. I don't know what what was the most challenging project that you've worked on with respect to VFX. Uh, to date, ever in my whole career, yeah, 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 yeah. splice, splice, yes. Okay, and wh- why is that? Um, because we had to uh, create a, I guess a, a major, a main character in a full, full, full length feature film that existed in one, two, three, four, five different states as it evolved during its short life in the movie, um, and in an, on a number of occasions, mainly when it became an adult female, we had to so seamlessly tie together digital makeup, digital prosthetics with a real body when you couldn't hide it under clothing, on a face, on, a, on a, an exposed thigh, and halfway down the thigh, it would transition from, Delphine Shaniak was the, was the actress who played uh, Dren you would have a transition midway through her real thigh into a digital leg that was triple joint, a triple jointed leg. It could not have been a human, bo- a human, a human uh, a being's leg. And it had to 
play right there on the screen and looked one hundred look one hundred percent seamless, so the whole whole the, the whole illusion would have gone away. And uh, I still look at this. We did that movie in two thousand and seven, so here it is eight years later, and the work is still. I mean, you know, blow my own horn again here, but it's not just me. It was a you know hundred dozens and dozens of people. The work is flawless. It's like it's it's just you look at it, you go wow. And we were inventing stuff as we were going along, just like every VFX company was doing at the time and and before that. You know, like ILM didn't didn't uh, you know they weren't born with the ability to create Star Wars. They they invented it as they went along. They you know they're building the airplane as they're flying. Other companies, Rhythm and Hughes, who did uh, Life of Pi, and and you know you know now gone. Um, you know that took twenty years for them to to get to the level where they could do a movie like that. Um, you know, and other companies. So we're inventing technology and process procedures. Workflows, pipelines, as we're as we're moving forward, and 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 that comes with a lot of risk. And this was one that worked out so well that eight eight years later, I'm looking back at it going, "Wow!" Did the technology that allowed you, and, I, and from what I'm picking up from what you're saying, it sounds like the seamlessness of that transitioning from the human body parts to the, I guess the the animal, the digital animal the, the digital parts. animal yep. body parts that 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 seam. Is, was that the, the, the challenging component of that? Did that technology exist to allow you to create that kind of, you know, uh, whatever to create to, to make that scene disappear? Yeah, that was that was a combination of, of uh, you know, I would say twenty um, percent technology, eighty percent sweat. Um, just a lot of hard work on the part of a bunch of really really creative compositors. Just to frame, do that. By frame, frame by frame by frame, frame by frame right. kind of stuff. Um, but the other things that you know, we we, we the, the producer of the of the film, Steve Hoban, um, Steve was great in giving us loads and loads and loads of development time. Um, I still, to this day I still don't know how he did it. Like he gave us months and months and months of development time to come up with these processes, so that w- when we got to set, we really did know what we were doing already. It wasn't we were you know we were we were shooting and hoping for the best. Like we had tested and tested again and tested again. But when you you know think about th- th- this creature, she only has four fingers on each hand, a thumb and three fingers, we had to take the real actress and digitally remove her, her pinky on both hands. Whenever you see her, she's only got three fingers and a thumb. Um, we weren't quite sure how that process was going to work, and we came up with ideas about t- like you know, taping fingers together or keeping fingers separate, which was going to work best. We did test after test. So we had that solved by the time we got the camera. What, what was the solution, if I may ask? Uh, the, well, we had it solved. I think if we went back, we would actually pick the other direction. We taped her fingers together. And made it like her pinky finger and her ring finger together, and uh, uh, then thinned them out afterwards to, and blended them into one finger. That became more difficult than just separating the finger. Now, the one benefit that it did have is, if, like, you know, I know, you know, people listening to this podcast can't see this, but if I hold my hand up flat towards you, you can see the separation of my fingers. And you go, okay, easily that being, you know, you can easily take that pinky finger off digitally. But when I do that. All of a sudden, you can't get rid of that pinky finger that easily. Okay, so, so, so what? 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 what when, Bob, I, when I just turn my hand, yeah. What, what Bob <laughs> just did is, is 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 very interesting. He held his hand flat towards me, so I could see all all, all five of his fingers, and then he turned his hand so that it was facing. Uh, I guess edge on horizontally yeah, to me, hand edge on. Yeah, yeah. And, and and so obviously all of your fingers basically stack up one one by one by one behind each other so you can't remove the last fingers that that's yes and, and you did you think about that did you we did yeah that's that's yeah. why we went with the the, the, the tie the fingers oh, together okay. the, take yeah, the yeah. fingers together 
that set after we got the movie done and edited, yeah, yeah. we realized that probably 90% of the time we were seeing her hand like that. But you never like, would have like known that going on. in anyways. We would have known that going in, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so that, you know, and, and, and the other thing that we came up with, um, and this was Terry Bradley, uh, uh, he was my CG supervisor at the time, he, he, he said, the way to make that triple-jointed leg work in terms of animation seamlessly and believably is to make sure that that whatever wherever Delphine is standing with her real feet, the creature's leg ends with its foot in the exact same place. So we matched footprints. The leg itself was triple jointed. It, it, it you know it, it, it bent one way, then the other, then back again, like a horse's leg. Right. Um, uh, but and the actress's legs, of course, were straight on the day, and she was wearing blue screens, uh, blue screen stockings. But the point was that we put the creature's foot exactly where the human foot was and that gave it the weight all of a sudden everything was centered along that 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 weight line and and made the animation again like so bloody fantastic i'm i'm still ridiculously proud of it it also comes down to sometimes it's those really simple organic solutions that you i mean it it sounds so simple when you say it but i bet you it took you months just to figure that out correct did right. never yep yeah so okay so Let's let's fast forward a bit because I, I am quite curious now. What is the what is the state of VFX supervision now? I mean, you're, you're working on a sci-fi show right now called The Expanse. Um, you know, previously, I guess two two years ago, uh, we had the pleasure of, of working together somewhat tangentially on uh, on All Is Lost. Yes, um, with a water water based movie, which is obviously as we spoke about at length during that process, being very difficult to do well. Mm-hmm. Um, and in between, you've worked on quite a number of, 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 of shows. But in, I guess in the last two, three years and where we are today, what is the biggest challenge for someone in your, uh, in, in your position as a VFX supervisor when you come to a project? What are, because I, I would imagine and expect that people now think that they can ask for the world just because they think it's so easy so I'm just you know with that in mind I kind of just want to throw that that ball over to you. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a, actually it's a it's a fantastic point and question, um, uh, and it's got a, a, a kind of a layered answer here. So I'm going I'm to go back to to something that we I brought up when we were you know first starting out is that VFX supervisor role uh, back in the you know the the early 90s and the we I'm not talking about the empirical me we I mean I mean like the industry and the, mm-hmm. the people doing what I do. Um, we had to fight like crazy, argue, not argue, um, uh, convince people uh, uh, to use visual effects. People were skeptical. Um, great example, I, I worked in a movie called Fly Away Home. Um, it's about uh, geese that are, are, are uh, flown with ultralights to, to help them migrate and learn how to migrate again. It was uh, Anna Paquin and, and uh, Jeff Bridges, right? I think it was Jeff Bridges. Um, and uh, there were a number of very challenging scenes in the movie that couldn't be shot for real. This is back in the, in, in like 94, I believe, 94, 95. Um, the local line producer, John Eckert had the great idea to look for digital solutions. Um, but the problem was that the director, uh, Carol Ballard and the cinematographer, Caleb Deschanel were two very, uh, tried and true film only kind of guys you know they did never cry wolf and black stallion and there's just no way they're going to do anything digitally 
and 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 I can say that I, I you know I, I I know Carol and Caleb. I, mean, I haven't seen them in years, but um, you know I worked with them on a couple of different projects, and they're curmudgeonly, and I'm now curmudgeonly like they're curmudgeonly guys. Um, and uh, they said, okay, like how can you prove to us that we you, you could do digital geese, and and how's that? So so you know I've got to, I've got to now argue that we can do digital geese, and that we can we can you know we can make them as as photorealistic as as real geese, and what, and so I said, listen. You've got a whole bunch of 35 millimeter film of flocks of geese that you have that you're using for reference right now. Pick a couple of shots, give them to us. We'll add digital geese to the flocks, give them back to you, and you tell us which ones are digital and which ones are real. So we went through that process, took a couple of weeks. They come back into the studio. We project it for them. They kind of get up and look at everything, and Carol goes, that one's digital. I said, that one's not digital. That one's digital. That one's not digital. He goes, he sits down. Caleb, the cinematographer, walks up. He goes, that's digital. Sorry, Caleb, that one's not digital. He sits down and goes, okay, got it. You convinced us. But that's the kind of process you had to go through at the time to convince people to use visual effects. Now we have the absolute 100% opposite problem. And that is, okay, we can't shoot this today. We're running out of time. Can we make that a visual effect? We don't have the money to build that particular set. Can we put up blue screen and make that a visual effect? Everybody just wants to throw it towards visual effects because they know it's going to look fantastic. They know that we can take more time in the end to craft it. We have the post-production period that we can we can actually do the work. So so now I'm I'm trying to convince people. I'm going the other way. I'm going don't don't do it as a visual effect. I think we can do this practically. Let's get this in camera. So it, like I said, it's almost the opposite problem. Where now people it's become, you know, I, I hate to use the term because I don't want to offend anybody, but it's become a bit of a crutch for other departments where they go, we can't deliver on our budget and our time schedule what production needs. Can you guys do it? Yeah. Well, it's interesting that, that you say that because it also, I mean, there, there is sort of an ease with which that rolls off your tongue, but there's also a certain amount of skepticism because I, I and I, I know, and I'm gathering this is going to be the answer that you're going to give, but to correct me if I'm wrong, even though it's easy to say that, that you're going to throw up a blue screen, you can still do shitty blue screen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can still do exactly. a shitty job. Yes, you can. At what you're trying to achieve. You so, bet. like, I'm wondering where where does that balance happen when you're when you're in the trenches on, a, on you know, and you're in production. And someone says, "We'll do this," you know, as a visual effect. Yeah, how do you make it? You know, make it look good. So, well, you know, that I mean, that's the challenge. You know, I mean, course, because yes. I mean, that's that's your job, and that and that takes that takes money. Yes, it does. And a lot of the time, people don't realize how much money it actually takes. I'm guessing here mm-hmm. how much money it actually takes to make it look good. You're right. It does. It takes a lot of money to make it look good. It takes no money to make it look awful. It takes a lot of money to make it look good and a lot of time, which is, I guess, that's the money part of it. It's a lot of people, a lot of time, therefore a lot of money. And But the, the, here's, the, here's the challenge is that everybody, there's a pressure on a production to, to make your days. So on a 12-hour day, you've got a call sheet that's got all these scenes you've got to shoot. There's pressure to make the days. There's pressure to maintain the schedule so that, you know, you're, it's a six-week shooting schedule. We don't want it to be a seven-week shooting schedule. We want to get everything done in, in 30 business days. So there's a degree of, 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 of kind of transferring responsibility. And, and, and when someone says, let's put up a blue screen, they're not thinking of the quality that will happen months from now or weeks from now. They're thinking, we're going to make our day. So that's that's the problem. Is there's no like you know, there's, there there isn't enough. I don't think enough appreciation for the difficulty 
with what, what, that will be bestowed upon the visual effects artist later. This also comes down to a question of planning a little bit, and and so and, and also the, def- the definition of what a visual effects shot is. Like uh, we were just on set doing uh, this the, the, this shot, and it was a the camera was was doll was on two tracks, it was dolling in. And but you could see the you could see the tracks because it was it was such a wide mm-hmm. wide yep. lens yep. you couldn't get the shot. I mean there was probably there was another way to do it had the production had more money and had time to do something else and set it up differently. Right. But it was one of, one of the things where there was literally, literally no time. You had our main actors, you know, they were only there for one day. Right. There was a shot that they wanted to get on the day. It was so you, that the tracks were on the shot, and the you know the 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 DP and you know the 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 director you know they came up to me and they go can we put these 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 tracks on the can we you know just paint it out or do this as a vfx thing later and so of course you know it's fine yes do it we need to make our day like you know the, the mental the mental calculation was how hard could this be without too much forethought because right. uh, we had done it before on, on another film but i wonder is that even fall into the basket of a vfx shot like at some point there's like i like is Everything a VFX shot in your world. The minute you, the minute you, you've got somebody sitting down at a computer, just plugging away, that becomes the world of VFX. Like, where does your, where does your job start, and where does it just become something that, uh, you know, it just you might happen to involve some computer animation or bit digital effects works later, but it's not really your job. So, like, where does your job actually start and stop? Well. That's a, that's a very that's like that's kind of the second part of my my layered answer that I started way too long ago because I do ramble on, um, but that's a very very good question also. So I sometimes don't know myself. As you mentioned before, we worked on All Is Lost. On every morning, every single morning on All Is Lost, Neil Dodson, producer, wanted me there at the storyboards with JC, the director. To make sure that nothing was going to be a surprise in terms of visual effects, and also to keep my eye on things so that something else didn't become a visual effect that wasn't planned on becoming a visual effect. Then he wanted me to stay at the monitor all the time, even though it might not be a visual effects scene that we were shooting. Constantly just to keep my eye on something to make sure, again, it doesn't become a visual effect. So I almost became, and I, I used the term jokingly back then, but I, it became the image police. It's like I would just be looking at the monitor going, okay, see that bird over there? I'm going to have to remove that bird. Just have an AD run up and shoot the bird away. Good. We're fine. So you become the image police. And, 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 and so I'm not, I'm not supervising a visual effect. What I'm supervising is, is something to keep it from becoming a visual effect. So there's that component of it. The other component of it is um, uh, uh, because I'm so intimately involved with kind of all aspects of of, 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 of what we are doing um, across the board in terms of you know props and, and set design and art direction and cinematography and what have you, I I, I tend and other visual effects supervisors go through this too. We tend to get drawn into the bigger picture, and all of a sudden. Our, my job is just not being on set to look at visual effects. My job is to, as actually becomes creative now. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in concept meetings. I'm in tone meetings. I'm, I, I'm asked producer uh, 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 questions that would be typically asked of producers. I direct second unit, even if it doesn't have visual effects in it. I'm still directing, and I'm a visual effects supervisor. Can so, I? Sorry, let me let me cut you off for a second because this raises another very interesting question. I mean, I think now we're starting to really get into some of this interesting, you know, unpacking of the job that you do. Is visual effects supervisor 
I'm sure in some cases it, it applies correctly. In other cases, it sounds to me like the the credit should be visual effects director. Yes. I, I, in the same way you've got a cinematographer or director of cinematography. Right. It, you know, I, does that position exist, acknowledged? Is it is it something that people are talking about now? It, it, it was fought against um, by the Directors Guild of America and uh-huh. the Directors Guild of Canada. Um, even though we have director of cinematography, which is a valid credit, and art director, valid credit. Uh, but the art director is normally not... The head of the department normally is the product designer. Correct. The production designer is, but there's yeah. still the word director. Um, so so the Directors Guild has issue with other credits having the word director in there. So early on, you will see that I do have um, a couple of credits on the IMDb, I think is visual effects director or effects director or something along those lines. And in the late 90s, early 2000s, when the uh, you know, the DGA and the DGC started to really realize people were using this credit, they put the kibosh on it. Um, and now they'll... Because the guild and the unions get uh, get to vet credit roles um, on films. And uh, they will they will absolutely reject anything that says visual effects director. But you're right, it's a directorial... It's, it's a very much a directorial role. Even if you just say, from the post-production side of things, on a TV series, the main unit director is long, long gone by the time we get into post, other than their four days per episode of editing or whatever it happens to be. After that, they're done. I'm on it all the way to the very, very, very end, and I'm now directing visual effects. Um, you know, I certainly have to, you know, uh, uh, involve producers and, and other, you know, showrunners and what have you in, in, in the approval of those effects. But, you know, me as the VFX, VFX supervisor or any visual effects supervisor, they're the ones that are going to the visual effects facilities and the vendors and saying, no, make it go 10% slower and make it turn left instead of make it turn right. So you're one of the few guys on a show that actually is, as I like to say, first guy on, last guy off. Yes. Um, what is your role when it comes to the relationship that you have with a producer and how do you tackle the job? Where do you start? Um, two questions. Yeah, two questions. Well, now we're, now we're playing softball here. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm actually going to, I'll lob up an answer. Um, on a number of occasions, I'm actually a producer also. So, so I, you know, I, I've now understood that role um, a lot more than I did when I was not a producer. And, and, um, my job, what I really, really do want to do, and I know this is going to sound kind of crazy because of what I just said before about, about sometimes I don't know where my job starts, where my job ends, but I, I know that what we do in terms of digital animation and computer, computer effects and, and digital technology, it does cross departmental lines, and I want to make sure that everybody knows that I really can help. So my first step is going to the producer and saying, look, I, look you're going to run into problems. I can tell you right now that I don't want to necessarily backstop other 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 departments, or I don't want to be the go-to guy when we've been shooting for 13 hours and everybody wants to go home. And can we make this a visual effect so we can all go home? Because I don't think that's 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 right. But that's going to happen. How much latitude do I have? Because I could easily say, yeah, you know what, put a blue screen, we'll shoot it, like we'll shoot it in four minutes, and off we go. Um, so I need to work with the producer to find out what that latitude is. What you know, and and and, and sometimes have the ability to kind of read between the lines when you get an answer like, no, 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 we have to very much, very, very much stay on budget. And then you hear a little bit of softening of that in the next sentence and a little bit more softening of that in the next sentence. So what I try to do is I build that trust. My first step is to build the trust with the producer so that I, they know I can help and my department can help and make things easier in terms of the shooting schedule or the, or the day. At the same point, I've got a responsibility. I've got a fiduciary responsibility. I've got to keep things on budget or 
within at least the contingency. Um, and uh, so it's 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 you know my my first step with the producer is is letting the producer know that I I am on their side because like I said before I do produce so I I you know I, I do have some level of uh, um, empathy for that role. Um, and number two, okay, how can we actually really work together now that now that we're talking? You know, yeah, sure, budget, yes, schedule, yeah. Let's let's be realistic. How can we really work together to make this happen? So where does the uh, okay? Because you're talking a little bit about budgeting here, and 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 how the budget plays into your ability to make decisions on the fly, real time, right. and, or and or otherwise just planning. So. I'm curious when it comes to lower budgeted projects versus, and I, I'm not putting any definition here on what's low budget and what's high budget, but the the difficulty is when you enter the VFX world, it's kind of a little bit of how long is a piece of string. Mm-hmm. So where do you, you know, and again, in the kind of the digital world that we live in, kind of anything is possible just with, you know, just brute force and just people, people's capabilities. What's your, I guess, the, uh, how do you tackle the different budget sizes in terms of the scope of what VFX can or can't be achieved? Because I imagine anybody who who looks at a project will say, I can do this. And some people will say, oh, you can't do that. That you're going to get, you know, 30 different answers anytime you suggest that something can or can't be done. Right. Um, you tackle it in a couple of different ways. First and foremost, not every movie or TV series is created identically. Um, so a, a, you know, a, a, like I'm working on the expanse right now. It's a, it's a fairly big budget sci-fi network, uh, science fiction series. Um, it by its very definition is going to have a lot of visual effects. It just is. Um, uh, you take a look at a, at a, you know, another movie like, you know, just go all the way back 20 years ago, fly away home. I think there may be only 50 visual effects shots in the whole movie. So it's not a VFX movie. It's a movie that VFX needed to help. So for me to walk in and say, okay, there's a rule of thumb, and the rule of thumb is about 10% of your budget should be allocated to visual effects. For Flyaway Home, that's stupid. Like, there's just no way. So you, you look at it and you go, okay, I can. Th- this is a quantifiable thing. I can take a look at the script, talk with the director, talk with the cinematographer, and go, yeah, we need this shot to have digital augmentation, and this shot, I'm going to take each one of those shots and, and put a budget to them put a number to them, and does that fit within your budget? Is it too big, too small? We want to keep the quality high, so maybe we can lose this shot so that we keep the quality high on the other shots. A bigger project, much more visual effects, visual effects um, uh, intensive and, and centric, uh, you're, you are thinking about a, a, like a, a percentage of the budget. You are saying, like, you know, it's, this is probably going to be 10 to 15 to 20% of your budget. Don't know yet exactly what sets you're planning on building, and are you going to build the sets up to 15 feet, or are they going to up to 45 feet, and what has to be augmented? So you have those discussions, and then you go, okay, well, there's no way we can calculate every single shot right now because it's just too big. Like there's just no way you can say this, but but I can tell you right now that based on what what we've discussed, you should put 15 percent of your budget aside for visual effects, and so so you, that's how you you, you kind of go right. from one extreme to the other. Now, what about moving the actual work? Around, we've actually talked about this before. In fact, I don't want to mention the, the specific projects, but I think the the idea itself still applies. Where you, when people are doing VFX work, and as you probably just naturally do anyways, you're going to move some work to a studio in Toronto, some work to a studio in LA, some work to a studio in India, or some work to. Right. I mean, the the ability of where where you do the work impacts both budget and quality. Correct. Can you? Because our, our audience happens to be global, 
And I'm wondering if you can give a little bit of a global answer in terms of the global state of VFX in terms of both quality and pricing and what people should be thinking about when they're trying to plan where and how they get their VFX done. I would say that the the, the first step is to determine... Um, and it could be on a shot-by-shot basis, or it could just be the nature of your of your project. But you have to determine how technically and creatively challenging your shots are going to be. So, for example, if I have a film, um, and all I'm going to do is I'm going to have it's you know it's going to be based on a Peter Pan idea, and I'm going to fly a whole bunch of kids around on wires. But the backgrounds are going to be all real. The house, the window that they're coming out of is going to be real. The kids are all real. There's no CG creatures. It's just a bunch of kids on wires. That wire removal is a fairly simple thing to do. Very, very simple thing to do. And what you're probably going to look for is the cheapest labor. Um, And that cheap labor is typically in Asia um, or Southeast Asia. Uh, And shots like that go there all the time. There are companies, of course, in Toronto, Vancouver, and L.A., and and, and, New York, and London, and Paris, whatever can do it. But the the, the labor cost, you want to to have it very low for that kind of um, uh, hands-on work. Uh, you're doing a a movie that's got full CG creatures, you're probably going to be looking for really, really experienced visual effects, technical directors, creative directors, um, uh, animators, modelers, texturing artists, and that comes with a lot of experience in the business, and typically that experience is found in more Western centers like London, um, like Paris, uh, uh, Toronto, Montreal, uh, Vancouver, Los Angeles, um, San Francisco. Um, those are where you're really finding the best character, creature, high-end visual effects artists. And 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 you know somebody might argue, well, all those visual effects artists they move around between these companies all the time. You get you can't guarantee that if you go to company A in in London that you're going to have the same artists that they used in their previous film. That is true. But the leadership typically stays. The senior people, the people that do have, that know how to build pipelines and workflows and, 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 and even create custom software. That stuff is really, really, really difficult to do. And as long as the senior people are staying there, you typically hire you know, the, the, the more junior artists or even the, 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 the intermediate artists from company to company. They go where the work is. So you have to really evaluate the level of complexity of the work that you're going to be doing. Very, very simple things like you're talking about removing that, 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 that dolly. That's a, that is simple. It is absolutely very simple. But is that one shot in your movie that's very, very simple? Or are you going to have 300 shots like that that you have to now all of a sudden you're thinking about the economy growing and growing and growing because it's now not just one shot at, at $400 to remove that, that, that dolly track. You've now got 300 shots at $400 each to remove dolly tracks and wires and cables and crew members and all that kind of stuff. So, again, that's cheap stuff. That goes to a, a, a lower labor cost location. you got the um, you know 27-foot-tall, seven-armed CG creature stomping through that same environment. That's typically going to a company in, in London right. or Montreal. Right. Um we're kind of coming up to the end of our time. I think this has actually been some really interesting stuff here. I, I, is there anything that you want just b- before we kind of, you know, sign off for this for this day for this episode? Is there anything you want to leave our audience with in terms of you know what you might counsel or suggest to uh, to directors and producers and filmmakers who are listening to this about you know what they should be doing in terms of 
uh, how they should be thinking about VFX for their projects and where they should be starting in, in terms of their discussions with people like yourself and, and other VFX supervisors that they might want to pick up the phone and call. Uh, yeah, I, I would say get a visual effects supervisor involved very, very early in the process. You don't want to be fixing mistakes later. You want to be planning for success. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it used to be um, that visual effects was an afterthought, and that was a big frustration. Thankfully, people are now more on board about, uh, okay, i got to get a VFX supervisor, as you said before, first man off, last man uh, first man on, last man off. Um, I've got to get them involved um, uh, much earlier, so do that. Um, think about the kind of work you're doing and where you've seen that kind of work before and what companies have done it, uh, because there's no sense reinventing the wheel. And if, you know, if you've had a company that's done, uh, you know, you have a movie that needs a lot of water and you see a company that's done a lot of water, you know, they might, they might be too expensive for you, but at least it's a good place to start. Um, number two, keep in mind that most visual effects companies will, uh, and sometimes they come with visual effects supervisors, um, uh, but, uh, you know, as a VFX supervisor, I've got to think about this because I'm independent and in how I how, how I dole out the work. But sometimes you get a VFX company that's got their own in-house supervisor. And if you think your show is the right size that you can give it all to one facility, it probably makes more sense for you to get their VFX supervisor. Um, and keep in mind that, you know, even if you're a VFX supervisor who is independent and you're, and you're um, awarding work to facilities or you're going to one facility... They all do want to negotiate with you and deal with and 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 help you make your movie. They, I haven't I haven't seen a VFX company yet that didn't want to help somebody make their movie, and that might be with discounts. That might be with you know what I you know we, we, we our labor base our labor cost is this much. There's nothing more we can do. This is as low as we can go. But you know maybe we could take a little bit further off, a little bit more off if we got a, a you know a, a company logo at, you know at the end of the, uh, on the credit reel something along those lines. Um, you know, make us a, you know, give us a, 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 a first look at your next project, you know, you know first, uh, uh, first negotiation kind of thing for your next project. Um, it's all those kinds of things people are willing to negotiate into. Um, and, and, you know, keep an open mind as a producer and a director, keep an open mind. Um, uh, the, typically the first solution isn't the one you ultimately go with. And when you are, have a great cast, or sorry, great crew of cinematographer, production designer, visual effects supervisor, editor, the, the, they'll find the right solutions in there somewhere for that. So keep that open mind. Keep them all actively engaged. That's all. Thank you. That's all, I think, great, great stuff. Do you want to ask you one more question? Do you have time for one more? Yes. Okay. Um, are, just, I, I'm curious, are you happy with the state of where VFX is right now in the business? Because you see a lot of shit VFX out there and I'm just wondering if it frustrates you if 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 you're if you kind of see things getting better or, or worse um it, it, it does frustrate me yeah. on many uh, on many levels number one I just hate seeing shit VFX yeah. when that happens it's just it's it's it's, a, it's, a, it's horrible for the whole industry to see bad work I don't like seeing bad work but I also have to temper that with I know that sometimes producers and directors who might not be as uh I don't know, as, 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 as collaborative as they should be, beat VFX supervisors and vendors up to make them deliver on a certain budget. I don't give a sh I don't need it good. I need it tomorrow. You know, and, 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 and so you have to think about where does that, you know, where, where, where's the, where, where, what is the cause of the shit, the, the effects that you're seeing on, on the screen? Was it the, uh, the, 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 the inability of the artist to actually produce the work? Or was it that, you know, they were just being 
um, heavy-handed mm. um, and made to do it. Um, so you have to think about that kind of thing. So, so you know, where do I feel that the industry kind of is right now? Um, I think the industry is absolutely 100% capable of producing anything thrown at it at a level that would be uh, considered uh, uh, as high, highly successful as you could possibly imagine. I just don't think that necessarily people are being given that opportunity to do it because it does cost money. Mm. So that's a, it's that, that's, that's the challenge. Like you want it good. It will cost money. It just will. It might not be, you know, in the overall scope of things on a, on a, on a $200 million, uh, Hollywood blockbuster, you know, $20 million for visual effects might be a, a small amount. But if you, if you're making a $30 million movie, $20 million is a lot. Um, and so, so keep your expectations in check and realistic. You don't want to walk in and say, okay, I've got this, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have 1400 visual effect shots in my $20 million movie. Can we do them for 2 million bucks? No, you can't. You just can't. It's simple, simple as that. You can't do it. Not for 2 million. So, so keep realistic expectations. Great. Before we go, best VFX movie that you've seen in the last year. Interstellar. Interstellar. And you know why? Very simple. Um, they did the best metal, CG metal, I've ever seen in my life. Um, there were many other great things about it, obviously. I've never seen CG metal that good. And you'd think that'd be an easy one. You'd think that'd be a no-brainer. And it is not, and they hit it out of the park. I was so absolutely blown away by how, how great that metal looked. Did you see it on IMAX? Did you see it on the... Uh, uh, no, just regular. Uh, just regular? Right, yeah, yeah I, went, I went and saw it on IMAX. But it just blew me away still, yeah. the whole yeah. the whole thing. All right, Bob, thank you so much for coming and joining us. Uh, this will... Uh, Hit the airwaves soon. Very good. And one, one last thing yes. I do want to leave the audience with, that girlfriend of mine from 30 years ago who uh, kept me in Canada, um, we're celebrating our 30th anniversary in August. So um, we're still together and, you know, want another, another secret to success in this business is have a great, great family. Um, so that's to my, that's to my wife. Mazel tov. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we, uh, we did it. All right. I think. Is it still recording? How do I turn this off now? I have no idea. It's got a whole bunch of red lights on. It looks like it's recording. Let's push the stop button. All right, there you have it. Um, that was that. I hope you liked that one. That was that was awesome uh, for me at least. Uh, just in fact, there's so much more that I wanted to 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 ask Bob. I feel like I'm going to have to have him back on the show. It's one of these things where you just and it's. I think it's always the case with these things. You just sort of get going with it and then. More and more and more layers just start to, you know, unravel themselves to the point where you feel like you're only really starting to get to the really, really good stuff nearing the end. But I think there's there's really a lot more that we can unpack, and I think at, at some point I'll, I'll have to ask Bob uh, to come back on the show um, maybe after the Expanse premieres so we can talk more in detail about that. And, um, you know, certainly with Neuromancer around the corner, uh, that will also be a very interesting thing to talk about when he's able to talk about it. Uh, just a quick thing for all of our listeners. I just want to say a very big thank you uh, to everybody who listens to the show. Uh, it's been really encouraging. Some of the some of the tweets, some of the, the comments and emails that, that we've been getting, just really a big thank you from everybody over here at Craft Truck uh, and to our listeners and for me personally. Uh, this is a project of passion for us and so we continue doing it mostly on the on the response that we get from people so if you have questions if there's anything that you're interested in any topics you want us to be discussing more or less of uh please just tweet at us at craft truck 
uh, or send us an email, coffee at crafttruck.com. And uh, if you like this episode, I would certainly ask and encourage you to uh, to share this episode and to you know share the uh, the business of film podcast with your friends in any of your digital media you know ways that one does. So thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week and uh, enjoy it.